Part seven of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seventeen Thorstein's Bondage. In a while, the rest of the men came up, not all as huge as the giant who had caught him, but all long fellows, gaunt with fell running and hard fare. They began their feast dipping bowls and spoons into the skin over the fire, and drinking out of horns and cups until they were merry. Then one of the youngsters spied Thorstein where he sat, and threw at him the bone he had been gnawing. Thorstein warded it off with his hand, and others that were thrown, but whenever they hit him there was a hoarse laugh. When all the bones were gnawed and thrown, one of them picked up a dart which he threw at the lad, and it would have made an end of him, but Thorstein dodged it, at which they all cried, Oi! and seemed to wonder at his address. Last of all, one of the men, seemingly enraged at his luck or cunning, leapt up and ran at him with a cudgel, a thick stick with a stone hammerhead at the end of it. Thorstein had been through too much to cry out now, but what was his surprise when one of the children, a great girl with long red hair over her bare shoulders, ran in and flung her arms round him, half smothering him with her mane and the closeness of her embrace. There was a gabbling in a strange tongue while she kept him tight and seemed to forbid the giant lad to touch him, and the chief of them all spoke long, waving his arms and nodding his head, as who should say, Let the barn be, and we will keep him for our thrall. He seemed to show how he had threatened the lad with his own knife, and held up the knife and pointed away over the fells, from which Thorstein gathered that they knew whence he had come, and somewhat of who he was, and for the first time a gleam of hope shone into his heart. In the end they gave him some of their meat, which he loathed and could not swallow, and pushed him into the stone hut, the best that there was, though even this could not be entered except by creeping, and they signed that he should lie down and go to sleep but little sleep came to him. The place was filthy, and he was among unfriends. His head ached, and all his bones were sore, so he watched them as they came in one by one, and stripped, for the hut was as hot as an oven. And they lay down as it seemed in a heap, like snakes in an old tree root. At last all was quiet without, and within they were snoring. The air was thick and foul, Thorstein could not breathe. It was fun to sleep in a tree with squirrels, but this was sleeping in a pig-hull among swine. He dragged himself like a worm, a little nearer the door-hole, and then lay still. After a while he dragged himself a little nearer, and lay still again, with his heart beating so loud he feared it would awaken them all. Out into the fresh air Thorstein crept in the end and it was like a draught of cool ale after haymaking to taste the night wind. He stepped warily between the huts, straining his eyes in the gloom lest he should run against anything, for the night was cloudy and there were no stars, not even the dawn streak in the north. He groped his way like a white ghost to the first wall and began to climb it, but just as he reached the coping, down it came with a rumble and a thud, and the stones fell on his feet and crushed them, so that he could not stir for the pain, and straightway he was in the grip of the giant again, 
who belaboured him with a dart as if he had been a dog. The pain of his crushed feet and sickness was such that Thorstein felt little of the giant's blows, though every time the dart head touched him, it cut into the bare flesh. But when he woke up at last, it was in the nasty hut, and everyone was gone except the child who had flown at him before, and she was nursing his head and weeping over him. She looked so ugly, thought the boy, as he opened his eyes, with her face all blubbered and red, and the tears making dirty watercourses down her freckles, and dripping off her chin, and upon her rough red hair that hung all about. But when he came to himself, she called out shrilly, and an old woman brought milk in a pan, and put it to the lad's mouth. And when he drank, the child let go his head to clap her hands and laugh. It hurt Thorstein to drop his head, but he thought she was less ugly when she laughed and threw back her hair, and he saw that her eyes were blue and her teeth shone, and it rested Thorstein when she took up his head again and smiled and stroked him. To make a short story, he lay there for days and nights, and sometimes slept and often raved, and only now and then knew that the child was holding him and giving him drink from the milk pan. Whether it was dark or light when he awoke from wild ugly dreams of swamps and snakes and things chasing him through the brambles, and high endless walls to climb and torrents of stones rolling down with him into the snakes again, whenever he came to his senses, there she was, and no other pillow he had. In the end the fever left him. As for his wounds, they let the bark harden and Thorstein had a whole skin before ever he was strong enough to stand up in it. But when he could look about him, the child seemed to be eager in giving him what pleasure she could. She brought out a little kiss that held her treasures. There were shining beads and pennies of silver and gold with holes to hang them by, and a gold thing like a Thor's hammer. But Thorstein guessed it must be a cross, for the child set it up and knelt down before it and prayed looking sometimes at it and sometimes at him. Thorstein knew that his own people set little store by Christians, because they were not so good at fighting as the Northmen, and because they could be overreached by their chapmen, so they said. And he thought that all strange uncouth folk were Christians as a matter of course, and so the wonder was less that the giants and trollkin in filthy huts should be of that faith. But when he slept again after this awakening, he dreamed that he was at home, and his mother was kissing him good night, and stooping above him through the hangings of his own shut bed. But her hair seemed to be all red like fern on the fells after early frost, when the summer is over. Chapter 18 Ranyach So Thorstein was healed of his sickness. But not until the summer was far spent, and not until he had begun little by little to learn words of the fell folk's language. For whatever the child did for him or showed him, she was not silent about it, but chattered the while, and often said its name loud and plain. And when he said it after her, she laughed and nodded. When she brought him milk, she would say, Banna, and sometimes when he was thirsty, the little roguish creature would wait a while as he clacked his tongue and licked his lips until he would say banna and then she laughed and brought the milk pot and thorstein soon learnt with such teaching and never thought of being shy as children are when they are taught a strange tongue 
nor was it quite strange to him for his mother had told him a few words of her mother's language which was erse and not unlike the words of these people only spoken a little otherwise so when he one day saw a ring in the child's treasure ark and came out with fanna and saying mur put it upon her finger she was astonished and the rest of them laughed now that he offered no longer to run away they treated him well after their fashion he got the cream of the milk as if he had been a chief's son at fostering although the cream was always sour from keeping in foul crocks of rough clay and indeed they liked it so as though new cream were tasteless there was always plenty of flesh meat of roe deer and hare and other savoury sorts good enough said he to himself if one doesn't watch the cooking as the saw says what the eye never sees the heart never grieves after so their clarty ways vexed him less and less as the days wore and as greenod began to be like a dream on the other side of awakening lying in the hut or sitting out in the sun wrapped in a deerskin thorstein watched the people and when they were not so new to him they seemed less strange and uncouth even when the men came in whereas at first he crept as far out of the way as he could at last he was drawn to look on at the game they brought red deer and roe deer wild boar and hares all manner of moorfowl and merefowl and wonderful fish spotted trout and silver and golden char whose pink flesh is the delicatest of all eating thorstein had seen some little sport at greenodd but it was plain that here the great lake was a teeming fish pond and the great fells one deer park and that these red men were the cunningest of hunters and fishers if their farming was naught nor were they rough with him now once when a huge youngster began to tease him with some more horse-play the giant carl who was father and chief of them all laid open the lout's head for him and if once he had thought that they had no manners and their customs were beastly now he began to find that they were cunning in their own craft eloquent in their own tongue kind to their own kin and proud of their own havings it was not always growls and blows many a time the little wench would play with her ugly father and cuddle him prettily and he would pet her as if said thorstein to himself they were no christian savages but decent thaw-fearing folk and if he had looked down upon them as the dirt beneath his feet he now gathered that they reckoned less of him than he thought for and kept him at arm's length while they treated him well just as a boy treats a squirrel he has caught stroking it while he holds it hard for fear it should bite so the summer wore and the autumn came and thorstein was kept within walls or close at hand he spent his time with the women for the most part helping them in their work but much as he liked they let him stack wood for fires sew and fashion such garments as they made from skins or from cloth that they got by barter for pelts among the welsh sometimes he was let milk the cows and goats and take them to pasture but then there was always somebody to watch that he should not run away otherwhile he tried his hand at woodwork but it was long before they let him handle a knife and when they did sharp eyes were upon him all the time but they seemed mighty pleased when he turned out little stools and boxes pegged together with wooden nails or bits of hooper's work that would hold water and as he began to be useful 
so he got on famously with them and felt home-like the child who had nursed him gave him to understand that her name was raniach that is fern and indeed she was not unlike the bracken when it is red in autumn and she was slender and strong and wild as its tall fronds that smother up the hollows among the boulders on the moors she was maybe a year or so younger than thorstein but as tall as he Carni Machterniach, which is the son of thunder was the name of her father the giant as we may call him for he was a head and shoulders taller than even a tall fellow among the northmen and far away bigger than the welsh Ranyach was pleased when she found out thorstein's name and what it meant in her talk for it is as much as to say the thunderstone because thor is nothing else than the thunder god and so said she we are brother and sister for the thunderstone is the thunder's child and thorstein by this time was little loath to have it so and whenever his mind went to greenod it took raniach there too and he could see her in his dreams in their hall sharing his trencher and cup and friendly with hundi and tormented by orm so he put off the escape that sometimes he planned until he might persuade her to run with him but when at last he had words enough to open out his mind and to tell her of his longing for home she was astonished and grieved and gave him to know that she thought him a very lucky lad to be living in such good company and so well off as he was for many days she was cool with him and said little which angered him so that he would say nothing to her once when they were out with the goats together and she was groping in a blackberry bush a wild cat sprang straight out at her like a shot from a sling and fixed teeth and claws all together in her shoulder thorstein had the creature throttled in an instant but great work it was to get it off and to kill it bang as he might with his thick stick and then he got her home and the women put herbs on the bite to take the poison out and to stop the blood so it was thorstein's turn to be nurse for a while and his sulkiness melted away all the more that she gave a fine story of his bravery which when the giant heard he said the little fellow was good enough now to go out with the men and after that for many a weary day and through many a terrible night trotted he behind longshanks and his lads by moor and mire chasing the red deer and the roe and snaring the fowl of wildwood and water and one while he got good words for his work and otherwhiles for all he could do it was naught but ill luck and an empty belly and hard blows to his back but to such doings one hardens when limbs are young and each time the weariness and the danger are forgotten hunger and cold and rough companionship and the squalor of the huts became too common to be feared any more and as the months passed the boy waxed and throve in the keen air of the fells he grew cunning to track the slot keen of eye and deft of hand like any savage of them all and raniach was proud of her foster brother chapter nineteen the three tasks when thorstein had found his tongue and could talk to the fell folk in their own speech he would often tell raniach about greenod and his home sometimes in the winter weather as they were crouching by the open-air fire in sleet and wind to dress their meals or cowering in the foul huts from the storms that swept the moor who had come before him like a dream the bonny eldhouse and its beloved rafters and the bright things gleaming on the wainscot 
and the lasses in their neat kirtles are spinning or a sewing his mother with a needle and his father with woodsmith's tools and all so cosy and well-to-do as they worked and sang in the warm fire-shine then he would whisper to the giant's lass as they huddled together in the muck and the men growled or snored for there was little to do in the winter up there but sleep it out like bears and he would say reyniach i see them i see them there's our great dog asleep with his nose on the edge of the hearth and father is kicking the logs together and he pats the dog and says to mother where's poor old stain now i wonder if he's all right somewhere a tanning his hide in a cold peat pit mother shakes her head at hundy and says eh lad it was a bad day thou tookest him off the elder should have been the wiser for i'll uphold it hundy has led a hound's life ever since but i can see mother working flowers on a kirtle and she's been working at it every day this back end blue flowers raniach and gold leaves on a brave red stuff eh if you saw what i see you would see some bonny things and all and the chapmen will be coming about with packs full of wares from all the round world and they'll be feasting them and at yule what doings pies lass as big as ant-hills and butter to thy haver bread and honey in thy porridge and likes in the afternoon when the tables are cleared and folk pull skins across the fire and one side lets go and down they tumble and one is blindfolded and hunts the others and i'd show thee a safe place Reniach, so that they couldn't catch thee how they'd laugh and how they'd laugh and how we'd sing and tell stories and get eh hey, that frightened and then mother would say barns to bed and we'd pull the clothes over our head while we heard their goings on grand it would be if i could get thee there to peep in on them all with such talk Raniach, who had looked on thorstein as a poor savage at first came to feel a great longing to see what wonderful things might be yonder across the fells and once even asked her father whether they could not pay a visit to thorstein's folk at greenodd she said they would come back again never fear and maybe bring some of the things thorstein told her of Carney laughed at first then he growled and shook his fist at the lad and bade him say no more to the child and for a good while they found it hard to come together there was always something for her to do and something for him elsewhere and life was worse than before at last when spring came thorstein plucked up his courage and said boldly that he wanted to go home well my little man says the giant here we've nursed thee for a summer and a winter and given our best and what says he shall we get for a parting gift for it is little we have got as yet thorstein said that his father would be sure to give something nay says the carl i know him and his gifts thorstein reddened and bit his lips now says the giant do this for me and i'll let thee go keep my cattle this twelvemonth and see them well served but if one be missing thy head shall pay for it so the lad became a herd-boy to the fell folk and well he knew his job for he had been among the beasts at home and was used to all that belonged to cattle but these were well-nigh wild and bad bad to manage often they would break bounds and give him a rough job to hunt them out of the mires and woods where wolves might get them before ever they had time to be lost and many a night it was only by the help of the lass that he could gather them together and drive them into the fold for the milking 
and sometimes it seemed that an unfriendly hand would loose them and give him a sad scare but raniach managed so that in a while the rest of the folk were ashamed or afraid to meddle and they throve that summer and after the slaughtering at the back end of it thorstein kept as many as would make up his count for the spring and was diligent in serving them with everything he could lay hands on so the end of it was that when winter was near spent he delivered over his full tale to the carl and bade him farewell not so fast my little fellow said the giant i reckon naught o this here are all my beasts again no doubt but what more we're no better off than we were what then cried the lad aghast this said the carl seest yonder tarn when it is as yellow with corn as it is blue to-day we will talk more of this matter but if i hear another word it will be the word for knocking thy brains out with this club of mine and he dashed about him with his great oaken cudgel in a way that was gruesome so thorstein was angry and mad angry and in his anger set himself to bale the water out of the tarn the giant had pointed to one of a many there were in those days about the settlement though now they're all peated up without it be puit tarn then raniach came and stood by and when she saw the water trickling back into the pool and the rain beating into it and the sweat running off the lad's face she laughed he asked her what she was laughing at and she said at thee then he threw at her the crock that he was bailing with and bade her be gone for a heartless wretch but she drew back and it fell on a stone and was broken at which she laughed the more then he sat down and wept and she came to him in the rain and comforted him and called him a fool which is often the best comfort from one that can help look she said silly lad how the water runs out of the broken pot break the tarn and it will be dry nay i know that well enough said he well do it said she but how said he then she showed him that the rock ran in ridges and that he might dig the earth away between the ridges and make a beck so he dug the earth and made a beck but still there was water in the tarn who's the fool now said he not i said she throw upon the tarn all the earth out of the digging and fill it up thorstein thought she was a clever lass and threw all the stones he could find and a deal of earth upon them into the tarn and if it was somewhat miry it was no tarn any longer but now he was let down for seed to sow and beg as he might they said they had but enough for themselves then after some days of bitter words and nights of useless thinking came raniach with a bag full of corn she would not tell whence it came but it was good seed corn and thorstein sowed it and watched it morn and eve and built a fence around to keep man and beast out of it and glad he was when it showed above the brown earth and fain when the ears began to turn yellow and bade the giant to see it and let him go forthwith but all he got was a growl and a roar where did that corn come from not from thee says thorstein thief says the giant liar says thorstein and they were both as angry as they might be but the giant would not kill him and best knew the reason why for he meant to keep the lad against a time when there should be trouble with the northmen and then give him over as a ransom so he was in no hurry to let his prisoner go 
Look ye here, says Carney at last. Those great firs yonder where the crows build, they must be cut down and made into a house for me, before ever I let thee go. Ask another to do the job, said Thorstein. Never another will I ask, said the giant. Folk that can make corn grow in tarns can make firs into houses. So Thorstein toiled at one of the least of the trees with his knife and a little hatchet, the best he could find, but he could only notch it round, and it stood as straight as ever. Then Raniach came and laughed at him again, and bade him go to sleep till she helped him. But she would not say how or when, and in a while she disappeared altogether. One day when nobody was nigh, the men all away hunting, and Thorstein bewailing himself, he looked at the firwood from afar, and thought one of the tree-tops shook more than the wind used to shake it. By and by it fell, and he heard a crash in the wood. He ran down to the spot, and there was a great tree on the ground, and chips of new-cut wood all about it, but never a soul to be seen. Then the lass came laughing and saying it was magic, and the good folk would have none of his spying and so she took him by the shoulders and pushed him out of the wood. Magic or no magic, she managed that on certain days the men were out early and home late, and none of them noticed that the fir-tops were gone. And Thorstein was hugely puzzled. At last he went to the spot by stealth, and saw strange men working there. They looked like Welsh, and he guessed they might be from the bruff across the flats. They had many of the trees down and sawed, and squared into timbers, that men might carry on their shoulders. Raniach was not there, but round the neck of the foreman of them, as it seemed, was her gold cross hanging. Then the lad knew how she had helped him, and right proud he was of her and her favours, and told her as much. So when the winter was on them, one day comes Thorstein up with a plank on his shoulder, and, Where is thy house to stand? says he to the giant. What? cries the giant. Who felled my trees? They're felled, said the lad. Not by thee, says the giant. That's neither here nor there, says Thorstein. Where's the house to stand? The giant was not ill-pleased to think he was to have a house like the Northmen, and so he let things be. And Raniach made the lads of the fell folk help, in that they dragged up the big timbers right merrily and Thorstein was master of the works. And if his building was not great nor very workmanlike, it was game to him when the studs were sunk in the ground, and beams hoisted and fixed with pegs, and rafters began to show the shape of the roof. And all this was done with the tools left in the wood by the strangers, of whom nothing could be heard. Most folk said it was fairies. End of part seven.